The Leader is released at 4pm every weekday. To make sure you get it on time, subscribe through your podcast provider. And rate us too. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. The palace had shut the gates after Prince Andrew's disastrous TV interview, but that couldn't stop more allegations about his judgment getting out. When they're as high profile as they are, it tends to flush out other stories in the way that we have done today. You could get more of these coming out over the next few days if there are more to tell. The standards Jonathan Prynne on our front page exclusive. As a former government advisor says the prince used the N-word in a meeting, an allegation Buckingham Palace denies. Also... The will was looked at again and, and questioned and people said, Does, did, did it really mean this? Does it really mean that? Arts correspondent Robert Dex on the 19th century will that's kept six Titian masterpieces apart until now. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, more on our Prince Andrew exclusive, which you can read on the front page of the paper or online right now. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. She says she met you in 2001. She says she dined with you, danced with you at Tramp Nightclub in London. She went on to have sex with you in a house in Belgravia belonging to Gerlen Maxwell, your friend. Your response? I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. The public reaction to Prince Andrew's interview for the BBC's Newsnight has been described as catastrophic. There's been nothing from the Prince or the Palace since it was released on Saturday. But others are talking. The Standard columnist Rohan Silva, a former government advisor, has written about a meeting with the Queen's second son in which he claims the N-word was used. That's been denied by Buckingham Palace. Our editorial column says readers can draw their own conclusions on that but the prince's private life should be open to public investigation. The royal family are born into their life of privilege, service and the attendant public scrutiny, but they do have choices about how to conduct themselves, especially those outside the main line of succession. The duke would draw a line between his official functions and his private life, but it's not clear that others do, for the public status enables the private access. Why else does he think that billionaires invite him on holiday, allow him to use their houses or host dinners for him? The Duke largely got away with living in this grey area between these two worlds, public and private, until it was revealed that one of his billionaire pals, the deceased Jeffrey Epstein, was a serial sex offender. That's why he sat down for an interview with the BBC's Emily Maitlis. 
Her forensic questions were matched by his confused, insensitive and at times bizarre answers about perspiration, positive action and Pizza Express. But assuming he is telling the truth, the most shocking thing about the interview was his failure to express any remorse or concern about Epstein's young victims. That's not a failing of media training, that's a basic lack of empathy and understanding. Jonathan Prynne, the Evening Standards front page runs new allegations about the Prince using offensive words during a meeting with one of our columnists. Indeed, yes. Uh, Rohan Silva, who, who writes a, a regular column for us, who previously uh, a senior Downing Street advisor. And this story relates to a meeting he had with Prince Andrew in 2011 uh, to discuss trade policy, because, of course, um, Prince Andrew has been... Uh, a trade envoy for the for the government, or, or had been at that stage, or was at that stage. Um, and in the course of that conversation, this phrase um, came up, which uh, Rohan um, has revealed uh, in his column today. But he, he didn't say anything to Prince Andrew himself, and in, in his piece today, he says he rather regrets that, and he should have uh, he should have raised it. But he said at that time he was you know he was a relatively young policy wonk and you know Prince Andrew was a senior member of the royal family and it didn't really cross his mind at the time to call him out on it but he says he's been kicking himself ever since. And Buckingham Palace has denied that he that the Prince used these words. Buckingham Palace has, has denied categorically uh, that these words were used um, but uh, Rohan says he has a very very clear recollection of the conversation. So the palace is denying the allegations which are on the front page of the Evening Standard, but it's coming off the back of this interview with BBC's Newsnight programme, which has been described by some as a moment of car crash television. There must be within the palace a lot of pressure to do something to try and contain this story. What, what can they do? I think it's very difficult for the for the palace at this stage of the game because these stories, they they are like wildfires and they become... They gather a certain amount of momentum, become very, very difficult to contain. If Prince Andrew was a normal figure in public life, the head of a company or, or a major or a minister, say, I mean, the ultimate option for drawing a line under these sorts of stories is, is an offer of resignation. Say, right, you know, I've become the story, I'm going to resign. But it's very hard for a member of the royal family. It's one thing they really can't do is actually offer their resignation because it's a job for life by definition. So... I think it's I think it's a really really tough call for the royal family, and I think probably the best they can hope for is that the political agenda or other stories just take the place of Prince Andrew um, on the front pages, and the story runs its course. And does the public have a right or a need to know about the private life of someone like Prince Andrew? It's raising questions about his judgment, huge questions, and. Today's story just sort of amplifies the questions that are already out there. So those questions will run and run. And the other thing about these sorts of stories is when they're as high profile as they are, it tends to flush out other stories in the way that we have done today with uh, with, with Rohan's story. So you could get more of these coming out over the next few days if there are more to tell. So it's going to be really difficult at Buckingham Palace. I think it's going to be really difficult at Buckingham Palace. I, I think it's probably... 
beyond being ring fenced now, if there are more stories out there, uh, they will. This is the moment when they will come out. I, I think it's very, very hard, especially now. Prince Andrew has put himself out there in this very, very high profile, very frank interview, and with all the the, the legal implications flying around as well. I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to keep a lid on it. Next. This is history being put in front, in, in front of your face here. To see all six together will be absolutely awe-inspiring. How lawyers have solved the problem of a 19th-century will that has kept six Titian masterpieces from being reunited. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. They are touchstone works in the history of European painting, but for 300 years, six canvases by Titian have been kept apart. And when the National Gallery tried to bring them together, they were blocked by an obscure clause in a 19th century will that meant one of them had to be kept barely two miles down the road in the Wallace Collection. But now the rulebook's been thrown out and all six are to be reunited. Our arts correspondent, Robert Dex, has been covering the story. He's out of the newsroom but joins me now. Robert, why was the Wallace Collection reluctant to loan the sixth Titian? I mean, to be fair to the um, to the Wallace Collection, reluctance maybe isn't the best word. Um, it's, it's all bound up with, with the history. I mean, it's this astounding art collection that sits in that beautiful gallery in Manchester Square, which is, you know, just... A short walk from Oxford Street is often overlooked by visitors and, and tourists, um, unfortunately so, and, and really shouldn't be because it's a wonderful place. But the whole collection was left to the nation in 1897 by Lady Wallace. Um, when she left it, in her will, there was a line that said that the collection should, unquote, shall be kept together unmixed with other works of art, um, unquote, which down the years has, has just been seen literally as saying they cannot lend work out and they cannot take other work in. Um, it must be kept separate and as a whole collection and that's how they've behaved for many many years um, until now what's made them change their mind i mean we reported it on on it in may when we knew the national gallery was doing their show and they were bringing together five of these canvases and the idea that you'd go to the national gallery to see all five in all their glory and splendor and then have to run down the road half a mile to see the sixth one um just seems completely crazy and i i think that was maybe the tipping point where they thought we need to sort this out and so you know lawyers were brought in that you know the will was looked at again and, and questioned and what people said does, did did it really mean this does it really mean that um you know can our hands st- still be tied by it and and thankfully um th- they've come to a solution and i suppose you could say common sense has prevailed what impact will there be on viewers seeing these canvases together for the first time in 300 years will it change the experience i think seeing all six together will be a, a major major event for anyone who goes to see it. I mean, these are masterpieces. You're literally, you know, this is history being put in front in, in front of your face here. You know, it, it will just be, to see all six together will be absolutely awe-inspiring. And I think it, actually it was the National Gallery that said that all this to and fro and that getting in the lawyers and re-examining the will and all the work that's gone into making it happen. The people who will benefit will be the people who visit the exhibition. 
and it will be absolutely, you know, we, we once in a lifetime shows tend to come on quite often. I mean, that's the, the nature of how things are sort of promoted. But but this genuinely will be a once in a lifetime opportunity. And that's The Leader. Make sure you subscribe to hear us at 4pm every weekday. And you can get audio news from the Evening Standard through your smart speaker. We send a bulletin every morning at 7am. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow.